0: The church makes many claims about God, about who God is and what God does, what God is like. We make big claims. And the biggest of all, the one that is at the core of all our claims, is that God is love. Above all else, God is love. We sing songs about the God of love, we pray to the God of love and we offer the gift of ourselves to the God of love. In January 2020, shortly before the pandemic, our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, held a revival in my home diocese, the Diocese of Washington, and the revival was called more Jesus, more love. And he has held many such revivals in dioceses across this country and abroad, always focusing on what he refers to, and I quote, as the loving, liberating, and life-giving approach to being the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. So during the revival that I attended, um, and it was the first revival I had ever been to, Bishop Curry led the congregation in a call and response. He boldly proclaiming, more Jesus. And we normally reticent Episcopalians, responding joyfully, more love. So yes, above all else, God is love. Yet this morning, which happens to be just two days before Valentine's Day, and what my young adult children tell me is the newly created Galentine's Day and the even more recently emerging Palentine's Day, this morning we hear lessons having to do with the law more than love, or so it seems. And we may be taken aback, especially by our gospel lesson from Matthew, which contains such phrases as if you call your brother or sister, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than than for your whole body to go into hell. These are words from the God of love, from the very heart of God made flesh, Jesus. Really? The excerpt we heard a few moments ago from the Gospel of Matthew is not one of those texts where the preacher can easily and justifiably say, well, if you read it in the original Greek, it sounds very different. There isn't a way to get around this lesson. We have to go through it. We need to go through it to get to the very heart of it and in so doing, to get a glimpse into the heart of God. We need to listen to the heart of God. Today's Gospel says a lot about what we would hear if we listened to our hearts, and if we listen to God's heart. We know the experience of actually listening to the sounds of the human heart. We have all felt, even heard, the sound of our own hearts beating in excitement. Some of us have heard the heartbeat of a baby not yet born, but already audible in the womb and visible on the ultrasound. And we know that listening to our hearts can give us a diagnosis of a healthy or an unhealthy heart. But we also know that the heart is much more than a vital physical organ. Heart means the core of ourselves in all our most vibrant aspects. We talk about the human heart as the center of loving, of compassion of tenderness of courage our language knows this and shows this we say take heart and we may say they are so heartless and sometimes we may say i am heartbroken or that really pains my heart. Or we might say, I've had a change of heart. If you have ever had a change of heart, you have had a shift of perspective, a shift of plans, a significant change in your outlook. Heart is the seat of memory. To know something by heart is to know it perfectly. Heart is the seat of yearning and passion and desire. To seek with your whole heart is to pursue, to search for diligently, to strive for something with all the perseverance you can muster. So let's listen now to the song's of our hearts and of God's heart in today's gospel lesson. Jesus is sitting with his disciples teaching them yet again what it means to follow in the path he would have them walk. Jesus is giving words to the love song of God's heart. We hear a section of the Sermon on the Mount, a section that began in last week's reading with these statements of Jesus. I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And if your righteousness does not surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Unless lest this be lost to our modern ears, those scribes and Pharisees do seem rather righteous, self-righteous. What follows in today's lessons are the illustrations and implications of those earlier statements. At first reading, it seems that Jesus has come not to abolish the law, but apparently to make it even tougher, more stringent, more exacting. For Jesus lists some of the major commandments, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not swear falsely. And were that the extent of Jesus's comments, his disciples might have replied, yes, Master, of course we've heard you say that before we know that's what god wants of us and for us but then then jesus goes on to breathe new life new relevancy into these commandments by explaining what they mean in their fullness by going to the heart of the matter he explains what they mean if we are to love as God loves, because the law tells us what is in God's heart. The law exposes God's fondest desires of how we should live with one another. The law also exposes the differences between our hearts and God's heart. Listening to our hearts does give a diagnosis and God listens to all of our hearts and knows that even if we can keep the commandment not to kill one another, we are still capable of disliking, even hating, despising others. God listens to our hearts and knows that while we may not actually commit murder, we are still willing to kill relationships with others, to treat others as if they are as good as dead to us. God listens to all of our hearts and knows that even if we can keep a commandment not to commit adultery, we can still disrespect others by treating them shabbily, even cruelly. God listens to our hearts and knows that even if we can keep from swearing falsely, we are still willing to manipulate others with our words, to lead others astray by what we say, to let our words be meaningless rather than let our yes mean yes and our no mean no. And I was struck as we just sang the sequence hymn, the second stanza. How can you, your pardon reach and bless the unforgiving heart that broods on wrongs and will not let old bitterness depart? Although we are all made in the imago Dei, the image of God, our hearts do not keep time with the beating of God's heart. For while God's heart sings out a love song begun in creation and sung to us still, our hearts still fall far short. The harsh diagnosis is that our hearts are often diseased, unhealthy, disheartened. And so, in God's mercy, God gives us the law. In the teaching of Jesus, this is law that will not let our hearts fall short of loving, as God would have us love. It is law that would have us love in a way that respects the dignity of every human being, as we say in our baptismal service. And it is law that ultimately convicts us because what it demands of us, we cannot always or even often do. And here again, the law shows us God's love by demonstrating our failings and driving us into the arms of our loving and merciful God. St. Augustine of Hippo, the fourth century theologian and desert father, put it this way, and I quote, The law was given for this purpose to make you, being great, little, to show that you do not have in yourself the strength to attain righteousness, and for you, thus helpless, unworthy, and destitute, to flee to grace. To flee to grace and into the loving embrace of God for the grace of God is there offered for us we need only take it so listen again to your heart does all this talk of law and our failing to keep the law bring you a sense of sadness if so good says John Donne, the 17th century English Anglican priest and poet, in one of his legendary sermons. As Donne so eloquently stated so many centuries ago, your sadness is then a holy sadness. Because a sense of our sin is, and here I quote Donne, God's key to the door of his mercy put into thy hand. As Dunn so poetically stated, God's heart is a rich treasure house of mercy to which our sense of sin is the key. So discovering our failure to love as God loves is not then a cause for discouragement or even despair. No. No. It is a call back to God, into the arms of God, who loves and strengthens us, who envelops us in a comforting, loving embrace, and then sends us out to love again, who bids us love more fully, more perfectly, because although showing perfect love is impossible for us, nothing, is impossible with God. The sounds of our hearts and the sound of God's heart may be different now, but our hearts and God's heart are meant to sing the same song. And so we are given the law, as draconian as it might seem at times, that we might know more completely how We are called to love. And when we fail, because we all do fail, we are given the key to God's heart, the key to the vast treasure of God's mercy that stands ready for us to take, the key to a heart that offers us true pleasure, true love. And then, we can truly and honestly proclaim to our Creator, as the psalmist writes, happy are they who observe his decrees and seek him with all their hearts. And I will thank you with an unfeigned heart when I have learned your righteous judgments. Take heart, my brothers, sisters, siblings in Christ, because our God is a God of love. Our God is love, of that we can be sure.